Hello, welcome to Eyes for Ears, your ophthalmology OCAPS and Board of View podcast. We're your hosts, Ben Young and Andrew Powell. Please keep in mind that these podcasts are for medical education only, not to diagnose that weird thing on your eye. We're ophthalmology residents who figure that reviewing for OCAPS, boards, or clinic is better when you don't have to do it alone. Each week, review a different high-yield topic and talk about the why and the how. Today, we're talking about ectopia lentis. So, your crystalline natural lens should be in one place, held in suspended in the posterior chamber of the eye by all the zonules. What happens if it's not where it's supposed to be? Then it's called ectopia lentis, which is a dislocation or displacement of the natural lens. So, you know, for those who haven't seen ectopia lentis yet, there's a couple ways it can manifest, but basically the natural crystalline lens will be not centered, it'll be out of position. So um, it can either be deviated up or down, depending either the condition that's causing it or where the zonules are broken. To remind you, zonules are the little fibers that go around all around um, the lens, like trampoline springs to help keep it suspended in place. This is a fairly rare condition, um, but it's important to talk about because diagnosing and managing it is not only important for visual significance, including in children who may be born with it and develop amblyopia, but also because of its associations with significant systemic disease. So let's start with the examination. What kind of things do you look for in a patient with ectopia lentis? So some things you see on examination of someone with ectopia lentis could include increased intraocular pressure. So intraocular pressure can also can actually be higher if the lens is shifted forward causing a pupillary block. It's also important to look carefully at the retina because two causes of ectopia lentis, including Marfan syndrome and trauma, can predispose people for retinal attachment. In addition to moving forward, that lens can also dislocate posteriorly But of course, if the lens is just completely dislocated and you lie flat, then it's just going to be sitting on your retina. Right. One other thing to look at on exam is to measure the corneal diameter whenever you see a patient with ectopia lentis. And part of that is to look for megalocornea, and that helps you to assess for the likelihood of a patient having Marfan syndrome. To remind you of the normal dimensions of the cornea, it's 11 tall by 12 wide, and the definition of megalocornea is greater than 13. So it's important to measure. Really, you can't just eyeball it. Uh-huh. Oh, oh my god, I, was, I didn't realize it was a pun. Oh my god. Okay, let me try that again. Okay, but you can't just eyeball it. I'm winking. That's even Dear worse. listeners. That's okay. worse. Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> the differential diagnosis for ectopia lentis is pretty broad, but thankfully there's another mnemonic that sums up pretty much most of the conditions for us. The problem is it's a pretty long one. That mnemonic is watch him see, with every letter being another thing on your diagnosis. Okay. So, uh, do you want to you go back and forth? Okay. Okay. The first is while Marchesani. If you don't know what that is, we'll probably have an episode covering it, but it is... You know how one kind of easy way to remember it is this condition where they are phenotypically the opposite of Marfan, so they tend to be shorter stature, stiffer joints. They can have microspherophakia, and uh, as what the reason we're talking about now is you can have ectopia lentis. And if you haven't heard before, microspherophakia it means a small spherical lens. So that's one thing. Okay. So thanks, Ben. That whale metrosani is the W in Watch Him See. Next is the A for aniridia. The other things that you know about aniridia are 
good to remember, including the fact that they can also have intraocular pressure spikes or just elevated pressures because of the remaining stump of their iris, occluding the trabecular meshwork. That iris is still present, it's just a tiny little stump. Uh, you also have limbal uh, stem cell deficiencies, causing a lot of ocular surface problems. But in addition, you can have ectopia lentis. Thanks, Andrew. So the A is for aniridia. T is for trauma. So any kind of trauma can break zonules. And, you know, enough broken zonules can cause the lens to dislocate. When the lens is dislocated, you can sometimes see the actual zonules that are suspending the lens. They may not look like what you expect if you've never seen them before. They're very, very, very fine little fibers that can have little bits of pigment dispersed on them. But um, but um, they, they, they are very, very fine fibers. All right, so if you get punched really hard, you can have ectopia lentis. That's T. C is for congenital glaucoma. Again, another reminder that you should really measure the corneal width to check for bulbthalmos. Yeah, so whatever anterior segment formation problems that can cause congenital glaucoma can also cause problems making the zonules. So and the first H is for homocystinuria. So um, homocystinuria is where they have a buildup of too much homocysteine, and this leads to them having brittle fibers. As a result, the lens, the fibers can break, and the lens tends to go inferior, and some texts will say inferior nasally. Um, it's important to know if they have homocystinuria, not only to treat the homocystinuria, but also because they are susceptible to having thrombotic events, especially during um, when they get anesthesia, when you do their cataract or take out their lens. So it's very important to know so you can modify the risk factors as best as possible. So always test uh, or consider homocystinuria when you meet a patient with ectopia lentis. Other systemic manifestations of homocystinuria are seizures and cognitive impairment. So that's the first thing. H we're talking about, the last H in watch, and then the rest of the mnemonic is, of course, watch him see, so the next H for him is hyperlysinemia. And if you have it, you can't metabolize lysine, the amino acid, very well. Uh, people with this also have some cognitive impairment, uh, but also ectopia lentis. Then the I and watch him see is iris coloboma. So if they have an iris coloboma, they can also essentially have a coloboma of the, um, the zonules. So look at the iris. The M in him is for Marfan's, which most of us know about, where your patient's very tall. Um, in this case, the ectopia lentis will manifest as superotemporal dislocation or displacement of the lens. Right. The thought here is that the the zonules and Marfans are stretchy, so some for some reason that means they'll stretch up. I could, we couldn't find a source about why they would just because they're stretchy it would go up and out, but there is known to go up and out. You know, this is probably the most important thing to try to diagnose in a patient with atopia lentis because of the systemic uh, ramifications Marfans can have, including things like aortic aneurysms. So you know, of all the things that you would diagnose. Ectopia lentis could be the presenting symptom of a patient with ectopia uh, with Marfan's. So this is something you want to consider sending them for gene testing for. And the last word for the mnemonic, watch MCS for sulfite oxidase deficiency. Patients with this have uh, neurologic problems, including infantile hemiplegia, seizures, and uh, some t oftentimes, unfortunately, they pass away by age five. In the meantime. Uh, what's happening for them is they've got a deficiency of a molybdenum cofactor, 
which is supposed to help them uh, metabolize sulfur. In addition to the ectopia lentis, they also can have deep-set orbits. So the triad for sulfide oxidase is deep-set orbits, seizures, and ectopia lentis. Ehrler-Danlos is another cause. That's um, the other E. So, you know, another problem in connective tissue. Um, so they can get ectopia lentis as well, or lens subluxation. The last E is for ectopia lentis et pupillae, where the pupil is displaced in the opposite direction of the lens. Uh, patients with this problem have it usually in both eyes, but it's also not symmetric in both eyes. The iris also does not dilate very well because of this. Patients also usually have axial myopia that's pretty severe, and then they're more at risk for retinal detachments and will have iris transillumination defects. So to review that list just one more time, it's Watch Him See, which is Weil Marchesani, Weil Marchesani, aniridia, trauma, congenital glaucoma, hyperlysinemia, homocystinuria, iris coloboma, Marfan syndrome, sulfide oxidase deficiency, Ehlers-Danlos, and ectopia lentis et pupillae. Those are that's that's a lot of causes we just covered. Um, again, it's watch him see are some of the causes. This is not actually completely definitive. I mean, there's a bunch of odd, rare things that are reported, things like case reports or um, things that we didn't cover in this. But at least for testing purposes, hopefully this is helpful to remember some of the causes of ectopia lentis. If you're just going to take away a couple things from this, the most common causes are Marfans. That's actually the, the number one cause, um, especially in children. Um, it's usually Marfans with some kind of trauma, like you know birth trauma, maybe forceps delivery, something along those lines. And then um, other common causes include trauma itself, especially in adults. And then homocystinuria is another cause to really think about. So if you're going to only remember three things, remember Marfans, homocystinuria, and trauma as causes of ectopia lentis. Okay. So well, how do you manage someone? Okay, we've talked all about what can cause it and why that's important to know, but what can, how do we manage patients with ectopia lentis? In cases where the lens is actually captured by the iris, you can try to undo that by aggressively dilating them with atropine. Right. And in case you, know, you haven't seen capture, know what exactly that means. That means where instead of lens going back and falling into the posterior segment, if it slips forward into the anterior chamber and it's kind of stuck in the anterior chamber. One thing to remember is if the iris is touching the cornea, then that's not a huge deal. It's not particularly toxic to the endothelium. But if the lens is touching the endothelium, then that can be particularly toxic. And if left for too long, can cause a significant endothelial uh, damage and as a result, corneal decompensation. So lenticular capture or the lens being ending up or any part of it ending up in the anterior chamber can be an emergency that you should fix right away. So again, pharmacologic mydriasis or dilation and then having the patient lay down so that the lens tries to fall backwards. You can even kind of have them look in different directions to try to juggle the lens backwards um, can be helpful. So keep in mind because accommodation or being able to see, you know, being able to pull images in a close change your focal point and being able to see things up close requires the zonules either pulling or um, relaxing on the lens 
Because these patients tend to have weak, broken, or stretched out zonules, they typically have very, very poor accommodation. As a result, not only do they need glasses, these patients need bifocals very frequently as well, even if they're young, because um, they can't accommodate. That's very important to remember for pediatric patients because you'll need to give them bifocals or some other way to give them accommodative assistance so that they can um, see up close and to avoid amblyopia. Okay, so, you know, we talked about medical management, but at a certain point, glasses just won't do the trick, and they won't be able to see well with glasses. So then you have to do surgery and remove the lens. You know, so after you remove the lens in someone with ectopia lentis, where can you put a lens, Andrew? So if you're talking about lenses inside the eye, that's one thing, but don't forget that you can just potentially fix it with a contact lens, especially if your glasses and your refraction is just going to yield Coke bottle glasses from having to replace that thing. And, and that, that can be useful for pediatric patients too because um, their prescription will change as they grow over time. So it's easier to change out a contact lens than to change out an intraocular lens, as she'll talk about now. You can still put in an artificial lens without zonules. You'll just have to resort to the fancier methods, including scleral fixation. And you can do that with... Uh, a numerous different surgical techniques, including the ever-popular Yamani technique. But that's a little beyond the scope of what we're talking about right now. We'll refer you to YouTube. Our good friend YouTube. There's a couple other ways to try to put um, a lens in a patient who has ectopia lentis. One is there's these iris claw um, lenses, which is basically fixating the lens to the iris. And, and then, you know, sometimes they'll have a bag that's still useful. In that case, you can put the lens in the bag and put in what's called a capsular tension ring, which can help to redistribute the tension forces on the bag among the remaining zonules that may be there. And, yeah. and for the benefit of younger residents, I had no idea these capsular tension rings when I was um, a first year. I had no idea they actually stayed in the eye, just like the IOL. So... When you get both in, you get a little more plastic for your buck. And those are the main things to know about ectopia lentis. So to review what we talked about, ectopia lentis is, um, means that you, you have displacement or dislocation of your natural crystalline lens. There are many causes. The main ones to remember are Marfan's, homocystinuria, and trauma. You should treat them uh, medically first with glasses or refraction, and remember that these patients will have a tough time accommodating or won't be able to accommodate at all, so they may need bifocals or other ways to help with accommodation. And if this shows up in a child, to treat them aggressively for amblyopia. If you have to do surgical management, there are a number of ways to replace the lens that you take out, including a contact lens, scleral fixated lens, or trying to work the lens back in the bag. And that's all we have for this week. If you liked what you heard, you can follow us on Twitter at Eyes4Ears with a number four. We also have an Instagram now, which I'm enjoying immensely, putting embarrassing pictures of Ben on it. It's also Eyes4Ears with the number four. Wait, I haven't actually checked it yet. Is there... Don't... Okay, look at our Instagram because I want you to support the pod. Are there bad pictures of me on there? Also, if you want to support <laughs> us, um, you can go to um, uh, the podcast app or iTunes and leave us a rating review. That really helps us tremendously. And we also have Anki flashcard decks for each of our episodes. You can find that on our website, eyes4ears.net. And that, in that case, the four is the word for F-O-R. Thanks again for all your support. 
we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.